Welcome to the Social Lights podcast with Kate Vandervoort, where I interview changemakers and innovators on how they connect with their tribe on social media. Brought to you by Social Mediology. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Social Lights podcast. This is episode three of season three, and I am here today with Tony Lloyd. Tony is a former Fortune 500 executive with companies such as John Deere, Medtronic, and Buffalo Wild Wings. Tony's a best-selling author, keynote speaker, business coach, and podcast host, and I'm thrilled to have you here today, Tony. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Kate. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Wonderful. So, Tony, tell us, what is it that lights you up? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, besides my wife's uh, smile and laugh, I mean, that's, that's the joy of my life. Um, but I, uh, I, I help purpose-driven business leaders to thrive in life, connect with others, and to contribute more. Right. So, um, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a former Fortune 500 executive. Uh, in 2014, I walked away from my corporate career and started uh, a podcast and a business and uh, wrote a book and et cetera, et cetera. But it's really about people who um, make a dollar, but they also make a difference. And I know that you work in social media. Uh, we call these social entrepreneurs, which isn't about social media. It's about doing good for society, the environment, et cetera, through your business. Wonderful. So you touched on it a little bit there, but tell us a bit about your journey launching up to the Social Entrepreneur podcast. Yeah, you know, um, it, it's it's always interesting. Every story, somebody is either moving away from something or they're moving towards something, right? And and so for me, I was doing a little bit of both. Um, you know, within uh, um, within Fortune 500 companies, one of the things that is kind of a, a strength and a weakness is the fact that they really pay attention to the people who invest in the company, and we call those shareholders, right? So the people who own the stocks. Uh, from the company. And, and that's a strength, but the weakness is when it gets carried too far. And so sometimes companies pay so much attention to the shareholders that they forget about all the other stakeholders, right? So the planet that we live on or the community we're working in or our employees or our suppliers, et cetera. And so uh, I had this sense that um, and, and with great evidence, because I was an executive, and so I was high enough in the company, I could see how things really happened and how the decisions were made. Uh, but I had the sense that uh, if we paid attention to the shareholders above everybody else, that really wasn't a sustainable business model, and it wasn't sustainable for our planet. And so there had to be a better way, right? So I was sort of moving away from that. Uh, but what I was moving toward was I began to find these people who are called social entrepreneurs. And, you know, they make a dollar and a difference. They, they um, you know, I could give you several examples of them, but they create a product that does social good or environmental good. And so that really 
interested me. And so uh, through our local university here, I'm in Minnesota. And so through the University of Minnesota, I began to mentor social entrepreneurs. And then I began to gather their stories and I began to see some similarities between them. And, and as I mentored them, I'm walking them through some systems and processes that would help them to launch and be successful. And then from that, I just said, you know, th these stories are too good to hide. And so in uh, November of 2015, I launched a podcast called Social Entrepreneur. And then, um, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. And so did you do that whilst also working full time? Was that or did you did you just make a break and leave the corporate sector to to follow right. your passion? Yeah, it, it's a great question. And I would not advise to anyone that they leave their day job until they, you know, they have a place to land. But I was kind of at that stage in life where I had choices, right? You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like 150 years old. So, you know, <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've been at this game for a long time and I have opportunities to, um, you know, I'm financially secure enough. I'm, I'm mature enough. I've got, uh, you know, a, a great foundation under me. I have a great partner in my wife. And so it was worth the risk. So I just walked away from my corporate career at some point, you know, you're working, these astronomical hours, you know, 60, 80 hours every week, and you're working nights and you're working weekends and, you know, the phone never stops. And so at some point, you just have to step off the merry-go-round and go for it. And, and for me, I had enough, um, you know, savings, et cetera, that I was able to do that. Now, if I were younger, uh, I would not walk away and risk the mortgage for this, right? I, uh, I definitely would have uh, been a little more cautious. Some people do, and, yeah. and God bless them. If that's what their <laughs> choice is, you know, they, they should go for it. But, uh, but no, I, I made the decision that, uh, I, I, in fact, I gave uh, what I called a two-day notice. I said, today I am leaving and I'm done. <laughs> And wow. uh, it was just it was just at that point for me. And, you know, I mean, the people I worked with were amazing. We were working on some great projects. I will always be grateful for that. But uh, in the end, I just, you know, it was time for me to go. And can I ask, um, so you leave and you start mentoring these amazing social entrepreneurs. Can you talk a little bit about the journey of how that became a business or how it became something that is now full-time in your life? Yeah. So when I first left, I actually, in my mind, I thought, well, you know, I, I have all these skills. So I, you know, I'm doing a, a executive development and succession planning and organizational design and development. And so I had this really big portfolio of skills. And I'll just take those out and offer them in the marketplace uh, as a consultant. And uh, that was my first face plant, right? That was the first point at which I, I just stubbed my toe and fell flat down and just figured out that I was in no way differentiated from everyone else who was out there doing exactly the same thing that I was. And so I really was not successful with my plan B. Um, and so plan C became, became that I was doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. And so one-on-one -on -one coaching has really uh, carried me through. Now, there have been these really odd, interesting coincidences. You know, there's like these um, 
synchronicity collisions that happen when you're out there and you're working on things. And so things like web development, you know, I, I, I developed my own website and somebody said, how can you do that? And I told them and then, and suddenly I was a web developer part-time and, you know, and so there have been all these other things, but I'd say my core work, the thing that I'm known for uh, is really coaching one-on-one or uh, teaching in the classroom, presenting. Uh, and so I am also now a, a uh, adjunct professor at the University of Minnesota. So that's another thing that I do. Uh, but my, you know, so it's been um, uh, somebody, Jeff Goins, I think it is, calls it the portfolio life, where you like have a little portfolio of little things that you do here, there and everywhere. And you just sort of put it together in a package. And that's what you're doing now. You're not doing one thing, you're just doing this portfolio of things. Oh, I love that. I'm going to use that one. (laughs) um, That sums up my life beautifully. When I started my company 12 years ago, I did exactly the same thing. I left the not-for-profit sector, couldn't work in the sector anymore, but chose to work on it as a consultant. And I then ended up being employed by somebody because they desperately needed me. And I did that for a little while and realized we had a pretty big values clash. So I resigned and they said, we'll do anything to keep you. I said, okay, well, you can pay me the 120 grand salary that you're paying me and I'll work three days a week. And they were like, okay. (laughs) So we did that for six months and that's how I set up my company. Um, They pretty quickly figured out that they weren't getting their value for three days a week. And I certainly didn't want to keep working somewhere where I wasn't values aligned, but it all just lined up and that's how social mediology started. So it's... um, which is very much a portfolio of things. So, Tony, I know that one of the things that you're, I mean, clearly what you do makes a huge impact in the world. And I know that one of the things you're really passionate about is um, well-being and self-care for right. social entrepreneurs or people who are working um, working and, you know, up to great things in their life. So can you talk to me yeah. a bit about your philosophy around self-care? Yeah, I think one of the lies that I believed, this was a myth, right? The myth is that if you're doing work with a purpose, with a mission, with some kind of social good, that that in and of itself will sustain you. And and I had to figure out that that wasn't really true. Uh, by the end of 2018, so I left my role in 2014, um, launched my podcast in 2015, wrote the book in 2017, was out on the speaking circuit, doing lots of other things. Um, by the end of 2018, I was pretty much exhausted. And what what I realized was when I was in my corporate life, I'm, I had this... Um, Uh, one of my highest values is this work ethic. Like, you know, I will outwork anyone. And that also, you know, like I say, um, a a weakness is simply a strength taken to an extreme, right? So my my strength was that I had this hard work ethic. Well, unfortunately, what I did was I just carried that over into my own company. And uh, I often say, I am the worst boss I have ever had. (laughs) <laughs> because, because I was still doing the same kind of behaviors. I'm working over weekends. I'm working in the evenings. I'm working all the time. So by the end of 2018, uh, I was really anxious and I was depressed. And um, I, I went to breakfast with a friend of mine, Michael. And uh, 
Michael asked me one of those kind of loaded questions that we ask each other from time to time. He said, so how are you? Right. And, and I had to make this decision, like, am I going to tell him the truth or not? Because the truth was that I was depressed. And so I told him, you know, I just came out and said it. I am depressed. And uh, we talked a little bit about what that was like and how that felt and all that. But the other thing that he asked me, um, he said, so um, why do you think that you are depressed? And so I gave Michael this answer that I thought to be true, um, that my brain is broken, right? That I don't get enough serotonin and maybe I need to take a pill or maybe I can get by with St. John's work for a period of time and it'll boost my mood and then I'll, I'll be better after a period of time. And so he said, that's interesting. Do you mind if I send you something? And of course, you know, yes, you can send me something. So he sent me this book and it's written by somebody named Johan Hari. It's called Lost Connections, Why You Are Depressed and How to Find Hope. And um, in this book, Johan Hari traveled the world. He met with the greatest experts on anxiety and depression. What he found was that there are nine causes of anxiety and depression, and only one of them has anything to do with your brain chemistry or your genes. And so wow. there were these other seven causes of anxiety and depression. And so it's things like, um, and the book is called Lost Connections because he says we're disconnected from the things that could help us, right? So disconnected from meaningful work or disconnected from other people. So I tend to be socially isolated in my work. I'm not in an office. I'm not with other people. Um, disconnected from meaningful values. You mentioned that a while ago. Um, disconnected from status and respect or a big one for me, disconnected from the natural world, right? I wasn't spending a lot of time out in nature. Uh, disconnected from hope for a better future or even from our own um, our own trauma, disconnected from that. And so these disconnections can lead to anxiety and depression. And so at the end of 2018, going into 2019, I made this decision. I said, okay, I am going to, and if this means anything to you, control, alt, delete, right? So I'm going to reboot yep. this entire thing and I'm going to start again. And I'm this time I'm- know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to reboot this entire thing. And then I'm going to figure out um, how to live if, if 2019, and it's not 2020, right? If 2019, uh, how could I live my year of personal bests? And that's a plural. So best in all these different areas of my life. And so 2019, I did this massive experiment. We can talk all about it if you want, but, but it really changed the trajectory of how I think about me and about my life and my work. And, and what it did was it opened up an opportunity by acknowledging that other people go, oh, wait a minute, I go through that too. What can you do to help me? And so it not only was I able to just sort of publicly say, you know, hey, my life is a mess, but from my mess came my message. And so other people, when you when you are authentic and vulnerable and real and tell people what you're going through, 
they can identify with that. And you're not a super person. You're somebody that they can relate to. So that has become a big part of my work. I have a second podcast. It's called Thrive, Connect, Contribute. And it's all about resilience and how we, how we practice self-care. Um, and just last thing I'll say is you can't pour from an empty vessel. Uh, so how do you fill that vessel up and keep that vessel full in a way that you can be of service to others? So, so that's kind of you know, my story. And we could talk more about that if you'd like. Look, I love what you've just said there about year of personal bests. Cause I know for me at the beginning of every year, I do my, what's my one word and what do I want to achieve this year and all that yeah. wonderful stuff. And you yeah. know what? 2020 knocked it all on its <laughs> Um, because it didn't matter what the word was. It didn't matter what my plans were. <laughs> you know, the universe had other plans. And had I started the year with even if it's every year, what are going to be my personal bests this year, then everybody can still focus on that regardless of what is going on around you. Because, you know, one of the silver linings for me in COVID has been we've spent a lot more time in nature and we've done a lot more buying of, sorry, a lot less buying of experiences and just explored our local area and had picnics in the backyard. And, you know, so doing those things at your best to your best can be done regardless of the environment. And I think if this year's shown us anything, it's that, you know, all the plans in the world may not happen when there's a global (laughs) pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. I think one of the most useless things anybody did this year was uh, buy a personal planner, right? (laughs) (laughs) Here's all the things I'm going to accomplish this year, right? I won't Uh, swear, but I shared something on Facebook recently that said none of this bleep, bleep, bleep was on my vision board for 2020. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I I think, you know, you're hitting on something really important, Kate, which is it's all relative, right? Mm. So um, first of all, my personal best is not going to be the same as your personal best, right? The way that I show up with, um, let's just say um, with my intellect or my emotions or my physical health or my whatever, the way that you show up in the world is going to be completely different than the way I show up in the world. The other thing is it's all relative to this season in life, right? So my uh, physical activities in 2018, 2019, 2020, they're all different based on the season of life that I'm in. And yet it's important that I say, what are my goals around my physical health and how can I maintain that? Right? Um, So, So I think it's important, first of all, to measure what is, to think about what we want it to be, to make a plan, and then to to hold tight to that vision, but let the form of that be flexible, right? So it's kind of like sailing towards the shore. Sometimes you have to tack, right? You have to turn the sail a little this way, a little that way, a little this way, a little that way in order to reach that eventual destination. So, um, you know, I, I, I developed a self-assessment and I take that self-assessment at the beginning of the year. And I say, you know, on a scale of one to 10, where am I in each of these 10 different areas of my life? Uh, where do I want to be on a scale of one to 10? And then what are my plans for getting there? And then plans can change, right? The way that it shows up in our life can change, but I think it's still important to hold tight to that vision, but let the form be flexible. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, what I take from that is 
there's a certain amount of faith and trust that comes into that too. And I think those that I meet who are most successful have their plans and they absolutely take action on their plans, but they also are very open to the how um, unfolding for them. Right. And, you know, most people I'd I'd be interested in, in what keeps you really grounded, whether you have a daily routine that that is, but, you know, I know for me, I get up an hour before my kids do, I've got some exercises I do, I drink half a litre of water, I um, meditate, I do my gratitude, you know, I've got my processes that set me up for the day. And if I don't do them, I really notice that I haven't done them. But I think for people who are really successful, they have those um, rituals or those practices that really help them be more flexible about the how. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and you're making a good point. You say, I get up first thing in the morning and I do that. I think our calendar has to reflect our priorities. Mm. If I say to myself, I want to be a, a, a calmer person, I want to be more spiritual, I want to, I want to uh, be grounded. Well, and, and what I want to do is I want to meditate. Well, if you don't block that time on your calendar, you're not going to meditate. Yeah, that's you know, right. Life, life is going to come in and it's going to knock you for a loop. Now, you know, you you also mentioned something I think is very important. Um, nobody's plan A ever works. You know, I mean, all the successful people I know, they're on plan Q or something. So so we also have to be uh, ready to make another plan after the plan after the plan. And, And sometimes that's what it takes. But eventually we get there. And the beauty of being alive in today's day and age is that it's completely acceptable to have 26 different professions in your life as opposed to just one, which is what it used to be. You know, you went to university, you studied, and that was it for life. So we're very fortunate to have a much more flexible environment that supports that. Yeah. You know, I I spoke to someone named Gayatri Dattar. And in 2004, so she's her, her parents are from India. Um, she was living in the United States. She was born in the United States. She was living in the United States. Uh, and on Christmas, uh, she and her family went home to see their grandmother in India. There, she was in Mumbai. And it was Christmas Day, 2004. And if you remember anything about that time, the Boxing Day Indian Ocean tsunami happened on December 26th. 2004. And so she happened to be in India on, on the Western, um, you know, side. So they didn't get hit with quite the tsunami. Uh, but it really, it shifted the priorities in her life. You know, she was there, she saw what was happening. She did what she could to help. But then a few weeks later, she has to get back to university. Um, but she, she, at that time, Gayatri said, I have to do something about the inequality of life, right? The the rich country experience, the poor country experience. And I'm seeing both of these worlds and I have to figure out a way to help. Um, that was 2004. Now, if you follow her life and looked on her LinkedIn page, you're going to see that she, you know, she left school for a while and she went and volunteered with the uh, organizations and she came back to school and then she left school for a while and she went consulting like with the World Bank and then she came back to school and uh, and all these things happened. Eventually, she ended up in a course at uh, Stanford University called um, Design for Extreme Affordability. That particular class took her to Rwanda where she observed 
uh, children living on dirt floors and, you know, something like 2,100 uh, children under five years old every 24 hours die from diarrhea. Mm -hmm. And so she's seeing these kids in the dirt floors with all these parasites and all these pathogens and how they're getting sick. And she ended up starting a company where they make earthen floors in Rwanda. And there's, you know, there's lots of complications that I could tell the story for an hour if I wanted to, but she launched her company to seal these floors and sell these floors in Rwanda. She now has 80 people that work for her there. They're, they're making a good living installing these floors. The uh, families are reporting uh, much lower cases of healthcare incidents. They're reporting saving money on healthcare, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. She launched her company in 2014. That was 10 years later. And if you look at all the things she did from that 2004 tsunami until she launched her company in 2014, it might look like she was lost in the desert, right? But what she was really doing was she was sort of experimenting with things and honing down and honing down and honing down until eventually she came to this point at which there was only one thing left to do in front of her and she went and did it. And so sometimes I think we... If, you know, our, our life path sometimes only makes sense in the rear view mirror and looking backwards, right? But, but sometimes what we're really doing is we're just honing in on that thing that we are meant to do. And so I, I, I just would encourage you, I encourage your listeners, you know, just take that next step in front of you. Because if it's something that still is in the direction of that vision of that dream, it, you're getting closer. And it's all experience, right? It all it um, helps the, with the patchwork of life, I guess, that brings yeah. our uniqueness to what we do. But I think it's one of the interesting things about social media is that it often makes businesses, groups, um, you know, social enterprises look like an overnight success <laughs> very rarely <laughs> because you don't have a following, you don't have a community, you don't have right. all of those people who think you're great when yeah. you're going through the trenches and going mm -hmm. through all the iterations that make you who you are and get you to where you are. Right. And so when we look at using social media to build community because often um, you know, you'd see that a lot with social entrepreneurs, that the ones that end up being really successful are the ones that manage to tap into a community online that, that help their, their purpose. How do you use social media and what's, what's your approach to that? You know, I think uh, uh, I probably don't have a great strategy, right? I'm not brilliant at social media, but the way I think about social media is it's one more chance to connect, right? It is one more chance for me to to just show up authentically as who I am. Um, now, if I had a social media advisor, they would probably tell me, don't mix your business things with your running pictures, right? You know, you're out for a run and you put in pictures of that. And the next one, you're talking about some social, some uh, uh, business thing, you know? So somebody might advise me that. But for me, it's like I'm showing up completely and fully and authentically human. Uh, and, you know, my, my social media, um, a feed may look like, you know, one minute I'm eating a sandwich and the next meeting I'm out for a run. And the next time I'm, I'm uh, coaching somebody. Um, but I think the, the theme that runs through all that is showing up as my authentic self, as just showing up as a real human being, 
Um, I, I talk about where I get it wrong. I think more people get more learning from the times I share, whoops, I tried this experiment and I really fell on my face. You know, they get more from that than they get from the, my life is perfect. Look at me, right? You know, uh, so, so that's how I think about social media. I think about it is just, it is building community and it's not one way broadcasting. It is how we talk to one another. Um, and so, you know, uh, my favorite things are things like Facebook groups uh, or, you know, my least favorite thing is Facebook live. Uh, I really detest it. It's just because there is something in me that really, um, and I, I love seeing other people's Facebook lives, but that's the thing that I've, I'd say my biggest hangup, my biggest fear, my biggest thing that I don't want to do is to go out unfiltered and just, you know, talk uh, unscripted. And so, you know, that's the one thing I don't do that maybe that's the thing that's holding me up, keeping me from growing on to the next level. I don't know. So this social media advisor would say to you, you're absolutely doing what you should be doing. I really disagree with social media people that say, <laughs> keep your personal out of your professional, because the reality is our lives are not like that anymore. There is such yeah. a blurring of boundaries between who we are, what we do and how we show up in the world, whether yeah. you are employed or whether you're doing it for yourself, but particularly when you're working for yourself and you are the product, you are what you bring to, you know, people want you when they're coaching and when they want, you know, they're listening to you speaking. So bringing that authenticity and, you know, I love the work of um, Donald Miller and I kind of take a bit of creative license when I talk about this, but he talks about the customer or your ideal audience being the hero in the journey right. rather than right. us being the hero because often businesses yep. and brands and even people set themselves up to be the hero that's going to save the customer, whereas right. the customer or the audience needs to be the hero in the centre of the story. And I right. think when you show up and you're authentic, you give permission to do the same thing. And yeah. often when we're selling something, we sell the solution and it's a long way away from where people start and if we can be authentic and and meet people where they're at and show show them our humanity we can yeah. lead them on a much much more genuine and deeply connected journey yeah. um difficult conversation to have in my corporate environments but i have a similar one <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I would say you're doing perfectly on on bringing yourself into the um, content because you know that's what people that's what people want. There's so much of the glossy corporate marketing stuff out there. You don't need to yeah. be even competing with that. Right, right. Fabulous. So Tony, I want to start wrapping up, but I want to ask you one last question. So what is one thing you would like? social entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs to do differently? If there was one thing that you could say, if you just did this, life might look a bit differently, what would that be? Uh, you know, I, um, uh, I, there's so much advice I could give, right? So there's so much stuff and, and, um, the and we'll share all was... your links so that people can find, because <laughs> you've fine. got some, you've got some fabulous content. So we'll, we'll share all of those so that people can find out more about you. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing that's on my heart right now is, um, not internalizing the trauma, right? So it's kind of like we are right now in the middle of this, um, intersection, intersecting catastrophes, 
right? So we have, you know, COVID-19, we have social injustice, we have political unrest, we have economic downturn, we have environmental collapse. And those things are impacting things like, you know, health and safety and employment, housing, social connections, recreation, uh, transportation, education, you know, like everything is disrupted right now. And so that is a lot of energy for our bodies to absorb, and, and what I would say to, to your listeners, to other people who would be interesting, interested is don't internalize that. Don't, don't take all that energy and try to absorb it in and hold it, right? The way that you transform that energy is by turning, your, your, uh, turning that energy into action. And so you know, it's all energy. Well, I, I used to do stand-up comedy um, <laughs> and, and yeah, you laugh. Uh, it's, they didn't laugh when I did stand-up comedy, but anyway, I used to do stand-up comedy. And um, if people booed, you know, the people who are working with me on stand-up comedy, they go, that's energy. Just use that. You know, it's, there is no bad energy. There's just energy. And so we are absorbing all this energy. And if we internalize all that, it becomes trauma, right? But if we just simply take the energy and we turn the energy into action and that action makes an impact and that's how we make a difference in the world, turn energy into action, into impact. And that's the big secret, I think, to unlocking the genius of all these people who have so much to contribute right now. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. So, Tony, thank you so much for your time today. It's been um, what a fascinating journey you have had and you clearly have so many insights and, um, you know, real life wisdom that you can share with people who are on this social entrepreneurial journey. So where can people find you? What's the one thing you'd like them to go do? Um, so the, um, my website is TonyLloyd.com, but my name is spelled a little differently. My last name is spelled with one L, so it's T-O-N-Y-L-O-Y-D.com. Um, I, I would invite people to, to download my book. I have uh, a book called Crazy Good Advice, 10 Lessons Learned from 150 Leading Social Entrepreneurs. And uh, right now, for a short period of time, I'm giving away electronic versions of that book, so if they go to TonyLoy.com, they look right on the front page. There's a big green button that says download the book. Just click on that, put in your email address, and, and you can have a free copy of that uh, best-selling book. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. We'll make sure that we put those links all in the show notes so that people can find those easily too. So thank you so much, Tony. I look forward to staying connected. Thanks, Kate. Thank you for joining us on the Social Lights podcast produced by Social Mediology. You can connect with us on Facebook at Social Lights Podcast and you can find today's show notes and more episodes at socialmediology.com.au forward slash social lights. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast platform to receive future episodes and share with your tribe to inspire others to action.